Our text for this morning's sermon is found in John chapter 10. John chapter 10, page 896 in the Pew Bibles, page 896. John chapter 10, verses 7 through 10. The word of the Lord. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. O Lord, giver of abundant life, the disciples, you said, Lord, that your word is life. Your word is spirit and life. And Peter said, when you said, where are you going to go? Are you going to leave as these others have left? And he said, no, Lord, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Oh, Lord, we come to this word as that which is life for us. And we pray, give us that humility and faith and expectancy and joy in it and desire to apply it in our lives in every way. Bless, Lord, everything that we do in these minutes for your glory, for your honor. Amen. In the 90s, you may have seen the movie Stargate, in which there was an opening that transported people across the universe. Of course, we're all wondering, when we think about space travel, we can't even think of the speed of light. We've got to do something else if we're going to make it across the universe. So these ideas of uh, wormholes and the light. Also, Jodie Foster's movie, Contact, in which... Uh, there was this gigantic machine set up and to transport someone to another location in the universe. And here, Jesus uh, is not claiming to be a stargate, but more profoundly to be a kind of God gate, a gateway to God, a door into the life that God can give us. How amazing. I am the door or the gate of the sheep. And you can read this for the sheep, for the benefit of the sheep that they, that I may bring them into full and rich life in communion with God. I am the door. And in the context, he speaks of this abundant life in verse 10 that he, as the door, is going to bring them into. So, first of all, we'll look at this. The door brings abundant life. Then we'll see, in the second place, thieves and robbers kill, steal, and destroy. That's pretty simple. Jesus says the door brings life. Thieves and robbers kill and destroy. The third point, very interesting, The sheep do not listen to the thieves and the robbers. So, the door brings life, the thieves bring death and destruction, and the sheep do not listen to the thieves. 
Now, what is this abundant life? And we can kind of course through John and some other areas of the scripture to try to pull together what constitutes this abundant life. He describes it in verse 9. I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, and it's kind of in terms of a sheep, he will be saved. This may have reference to Christ's salvation, but also to the safety of sheep, keeping to that illustration, and will go in and out and find pasture. And then in verse 10, there's kind of a repeat of that in a different form. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, first of all, then life in this abundant life is life as a present possession. Interestingly, in John, he talks about the person that is believed in Christ has eternal life. And even says in John 5, 24, has passed from death into life. So it has already taken place. That shows that the eternal that's mentioned throughout John, eternal life, does include enduring character. But it's not, as D.A. Carson says, just time to be filled. It's not just talking about the length of it. But it means life at its scarcely imagined best. The abundant life that we begin to taste and enjoy right now as a present possession. There is a consummation of this life, but there is the present possession and enjoyment of this life. And so that brings us to a second aspect of this abundant life. It is life in the everyday. This phrase will go in and out is a common Hebraism, a common phrase in Hebrew that means your everyday life. Deuteronomy 28, 6, blessed shall you be when you come in, blessed shall you be when you go out. Or Psalm 128, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in. He's saying in every area and aspect of your life, there will be security, peace, and abundant provision. He will nourish you faithfully right where you are in your life. Whatever your condition, whatever your circumstance, whatever relations you are surrounded with, whatever pressures, he will be right there and in the midst of it, he will impart life to you. So it is a present possession in the everyday. Another aspect that's mentioned of this abundant life is it is the joy of knowing God and knowing his love. We read of the love of God being poured out in our hearts. And Jesus in his high priestly prayer says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So eternal life is relational. It means a new relationship with God, a new enjoyment of God. The joy of the secure hope that I will enjoy God's love and favor and care every day of my life. That I can enjoy who he is, what he is, what he is to me. So it's, it's life in the rejo, it's, it's, it's life in the rejoicing in the Lord sense. Okay? Life in the giving thanks for all things sense. It's life in having a peace that surpasses all understanding sense. And in that context, because of our love and devotion to Him, life in being willing to die and lose everything for Him. That's life, you see. An intimacy and a joy in God that allows us to freely give ourselves up to Him. 
That is life. Then it's also the life of loving others as God has loved us. That's the abundant life. Listen to what John says, not in the gospel, but later in a letter he wrote, 1 John. We know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. There's the evidence that we have this abundant life. There's the evidence that we're no longer dead, but alive in him. We love one another. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. You see, eternal life there is not speaking of some length of life. It's talking about a quality of life. It's talking about a life that causes us to be different and to treat one another differently. That's abundant life, the the life of loving one another. So he, as the door, admits us and brings us into that life, surely and truly. He does it. He is the door. This is not an imaginary thing. It gives us the capacity to love. So it's life in the patience sense. Okay? It's life in the forbearing and forgiving others sense. It's life in the purity and holiness sense. When you turn away from lust and covetousness and jealousy and hatred and anger and revenge or fear or laziness, you are tasting the abundant life that Christ imparts to his sheep. He came that you might have it. He is the door to it. And along those lines, then, it is a satisfying life, a life that quenches our soul. John 6.35 speaks of his being the bread of life, and we studied that. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You see, your longings are satisfied in him. This is the life you were meant to live, the life that Christ gives you. We talk about, uh, uh, oh, I just lost it, Gatorade. What your body's thirsty for, right? This is what your life, your whole being is thirsty for, is the life that Christ can give you. And he's the door to that life. Fulfillment in the deepest sense, even in the midst of tragedies and difficulties and upturns and agonies of this life, still, still, He quenches you and satisfies you in the midst of it. And therefore, it's a life that's protected. It's indestructible. Later in this chapter, they shall never perish. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. I got flogged by a mama hen one time at my grandmother's house. I was just innocently wanting to play with these eight or ten chicks. And suddenly there was a chicken on my head. Tearing my neck up all the way to the house. You know, I, I mean, I was eight or nine years old. I thought I was dead, you know, this and turn around. And here's this mama hen, you know, prancing back. Took care of that dude. I tell you, if a mama hen and how about you with your sons and daughters, your children? How protective are you? How quickly if somebody says something bad about your child or does? You're just right there. You think God is any less than anything that would propose to touch one of his own? You are protected. 
Your life is indestructible. No one will snatch them out of my hand, he says. No one. And therefore, it includes the final resurrection. The final resurrection. He speaks of it in John 6. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes Him should have eternal life. And he adds, and I will raise Him up on the last day. You see, showing that this eternal life includes this aspect of the resurrection of the body in the last day. It will have its final fruition. It's the hope of the one's total life, one's total environment, in the end being changed to perfection and glory, never to diminish or fade or change in any way. That's what we look forward to. And that's what he will bring about. It is life in the fullest sense that embraces even the creation itself. And then all of this is life as opposed to condemnation and death. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have life. Or if you obey the Son, you have life. If you don't, wrath abides on you. Whoever believes in me has eternal life, does not come into judgment. So judgment, death, wrath is laid out. Here is the door for life. So it's not only the positive and all these riches, but it is the escape of the sure condemnation and judgment and death that is on all mankind, except that we would go to the door and receive forgiveness and life through Him. So the, the, the door brings abundant life, but the thieves and robbers kill and destroy Now, he says, all who came before me, and certainly he doesn't include the prophets or Moses or Abraham, but uh, most directly would be speaking about the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who were certainly out for themselves in the main and, and out to promote their own wealth on the one hand with the Sadducees and their own reputation on the other hand with the Pharisees. They were concerned not for the sheep. They didn't have any compassion or care for people. They were all out to promote themselves. But it would also include, by extension, any false messiah or redeemer gods in the pagan world, any teaching in the end that would take us away from Christ, is the teaching of thieves and robbers that would destroy us. As Paul says in Colossians 2, see that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So anything that opposes or would draw us away from Christ in any way is seen to be, by extension, thieves and robbers that would come and destroy us. And so John Calvin wrote, All the doctrine which have led the world away from him are deadly plagues, since apart from him is nothing but destruction and a horrible scattering. And so look at the contrast. Abundant life, protection and peace and provision versus killing and stealing and destruction. And on the heels of this, in verse 11, he says, I'm the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. The contrast is so startling. Can you imagine if you had the three doors on the game show? Okay. And there was, you knew, a car behind one and a couch behind another and a supply of cat food behind the other. 
And so you're really hoping, I don't want the cat food because I hate cats, you know. Um, if I could kill a cat with it, maybe, but not that, okay? So here you are at this contrast, and you really want the one or the other. But what if the contrast were, behind this door, you will be a billionaire. Behind another door, death by drowning. And another door, death by fire. Then <laughs> you just can't imagine what would be weighed down and, and, and what, what would be involved in that decision. And that's what he's saying here. It's the difference between all of life or destruction. And you willingly give yourself to those who will plunder you. Can you imagine there will be a thief in the neighborhood and whose ever door is open, he's going to rob you blind. And that's what you're doing. When you give yourself to anything other than Christ, you're opening your door of your whole life to destruction, to be plundered and robbed forever. But thirdly, sheep don't listen to thieves and robbers. Why? Well, there's the, the other side of the positive of this is John 10, 3, the sheep hear his voice. That's why they don't listen to the thieves is because they recognize, they know, and they hear the voice of Christ. In verse 16 of this chapter, I have other sheep. I must bring them. They will listen to my voice. Or verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. But if you look with me to verses 14 and 15 in this chapter, it's on page 1081 if you're not there on the, in the blue book. No, no, no. I always do that. I thought I had this one open, but I didn't. Uh, it, anyway, John 10. Uh, he says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Now notice... We know him because he knows us. And then in verse 15, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. There's a structure. The Father knows the Son. And as they know each other, there's a pattern that we know the Son. And and he knows us. So first of all, you can see that there's this mutual knowledge and affection and delight in the Father and the Son, as one writer uh, in the 17th century says, an affection betwixt the Father and the Son, Christ, which tends much to the comfort of believers. That is, we are comforted in the eternal love of Father and Son. And I think of children that are so comforted in the love of their parents. They love to see. And how often when we were in a hug, little bodies would get into the hug somehow, you know, and the delight and the fun of the the family hug. It greatly comforts and delights and gives security to children to see their parents affectionate and loving and kind to each other. and, And it hurts to be otherwise to them. Well, we have that knowledge of the perfect love of the Father and the Son. But then, then... Though this affection is matchless, it's incomprehensible that they've had this eternal, infinite love for one another. And yet this relationship, our relationship with Christ comes closest to resembling that. How could that be? This 
this knowledge between the Father and the Son that's so high and so deep and so intimate, no thought could convey it. And yet, this deep mystery that is beyond our understanding, the knowledge and communion of Christ and believers is so deep and wonderful, it can only be compared to that which exists between the Father and the Son. You see, it's it's no more possible for the Father to be oblivious to the Son, to neglect the Son, And it would be for the Son to neglect us. Because He knows us just like the Father knows Him. And He takes notice of us as the Father takes notice of Him in every detail of our lives. And then there's this other side, and this is why we hear His voice. You can kind of think of, okay, the Father's love for Christ and the Christ's love for the Father. But He gives us grace to somehow begin to acknowledge and love Him as He acknowledges and loves the Father. I didn't make the comparison. He did. That we in some way know and love Christ like the Son knows and loves the Father. And so, though we come far short, this is still the pattern and it is the glory of our lives. That part of our salvation is that we can know Him and hear His voice and give ourselves to Him. That we can know something of what our shepherd is, all that He feels toward us, all that He is willing to do for us, and we can know that. Even as the Son knows the love of the Father, we can grow more and more and know the love of the shepherd, the the door, this one who is given to us. And that's where our obedience comes. It's rooted in this knowledge of Him. And let me say a closing word. Here's the flip side to not hearing the the liars, and hearing the voice of Christ, he said to the Jews, you refuse to come to me that you may have life. John 5.40. And then in John 8.47, he says, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason you do not hear them is that you are not of God. And so, I would simply ask you, in all of the hearing of Jesus Christ, have you heard him? Have you heard Him? So that the story of Christ and His death on the cross and the resurrection has gripped you in some way, has drawn you in love and joy and trust to put yourself in His hands. Otherwise, you see, the reason you do not hear Him, the reason it means nothing to you, is that you're not of God. You're not of God. And all of us by nature are not of God. None of us will hear Him by nature. None of us care by nature. And if it weren't for His mercy, I still would be sitting in a church as I did for 18 years. Can't wait till I get out of here till I can go home and watch football. 
It is only by His mercy that we come to hear His voice and we come to begin to know the love that He has for us. He is the door that brings abundant life. The thieves come to destroy, but the sheep hear His voice and not theirs. What voice? What voices are you following? Let us pray. Oh Lord, bless us with your grace to understand your love and to hear the voice of Christ and walk in the light of the door and shepherd of our souls. Amen. Please turn in your bulletins.